The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. But it comes principally down that as a CEO, you have to manage all the expectations from all the different uh, uh, stakeholders, and you have to get the balance right of all the different stakeholders you have uh, in, in and around the company. And then it's your job that you make the best environment for your company in this complex environment and in an ever-changing environment that the company can operate at its best. Welcome to the Mentor TV podcast and stay curious with Patricia Falco-Becali. Welcome back to another edition of COVID-19 from Crisis to Creation here on Mentory TV. I'm Patricia Falco-Becali, your host, and we are still here. We are still in the middle of a crisis, even though we're about one and a half years into the COVID-19 disaster and pandemic. Things are starting to look better in some areas of the world. Nevertheless, quite a few sectors have actually gained despite the pandemic and others had a real tough time. Talking about a crisis, how about leisure? How about travel? How about the airline industry? These are industries that have really seen quite a bit of downside to just be kind. And this is why I thought, why not talk to the ex-CEO of Thomas Cook, Professor Dr. Peter Fankhauser joins me here on Mentory TV. You just had a glimpse already. Peter, thank you so much for being with us here on the show. Very welcome, Patricia. Well, Peter, of course, um, you're so much more than the ex-CEO of Thomas Cook, but I think uh, you, your claim to fame is definitely uh, uh, five years at the helm of this international travel company. You've worked for LTU, you've worked for Kuoni. So who better to ask? about what this what this kind of pandemic really meant for the sector and how you judge it. Let, let's kind of kick off how you interpret it as a real expert from that sector. Yeah, this pandemic has an absolute devastating impact on, on all the leisure companies. And the, the, the tragedy is that the demand is there, but the restrictions, rightly so, the restrictions are still so tight that there is not really there is not really a takeoff now even if we see somehow a light at the horizon uh, or at the end of the tunnel i don't think that the summer season is going to be brilliant for uh, for tour operators nor for airlines and we see in the press what they say that they may get uh, to a 50% capacity uh, flying what they had in 2019 that shows the absolute devastating impact so yeah. it It's, it is tragic. It is, it is really, really sad. And uh, thanks God, some of the governments in Europe took the decision to really support them. But it's, it's still then, it's, it's extremely tough. It is tough. And, you know, after uh, or behind any kind of big corporation or sector, at the end of the day, there are real people working in there and there are real people suffering. And uh, you are an honorary professor at the University of St. Gallen, and there you teach management leadership, and you're also involved in a very specific program that is retraining, reorientating, really, pilots that have lost their jobs and may never get back to it simply because capacity might just not boom out as soon as the pandemic is over as fast, and they need to reorientate. But looking back, I mean, the, the relationship between pilots in general and management, CEOs, trying to really keep a balance for the business as well has been always a bit difficult. 
yeah, true. The pilots are very, very well educated, but they have a very specific task in a in a in a in, in, in an airline or in a tour operator who owns an airline as well. So uh, and and they are well paid, but still uh, very well organized. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't call pilot representation a union. But it is a, a, a little bit. It's a very, very strong representation, and uh, and and you have to learn to deal with that. And when I when I came from Switzerland, there you have almost no uh, unions uh, to to Germany. And I I got the CEO at at, uh, at LTU. That was really a total rethinking. Uh, and 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 yeah, a throwing throw a throw into the cold water to say. And yeah. had the use to deal with it and, and to, to, to yeah just to take them serious and as well to yeah probably inform them as much as you can but you can't always uh, tell everything but just to, to take them serious and that was then somehow a learning course and in that year was quite a steep learning curve for me and uh, and, and and then we got along and and I I, I always said I love pilots because they are they are very responsible. They are, yeah, they are manager of a big plane and manager of, of, a, of a big crew in a big plane. And they take the responsibility from 100 to 350 people when they fly. So they are a, a, a bit of a, yeah, a, a nice bunch of people with a lot of responsibility, but as well, which could can be sometimes very straight. And sometimes as well, uh, running into a direction where you have to say, sorry guys, that's not going to work. Mm -hmm. I wonder about, you know, retraining a pilot. You just mentioned already some of the skills they have. You know, they need to be absolutely accountable, responsible. They're taking responsibility for a machine that costs, uh, you know, <laughs> double-digit millions, if not more, responsible for 200, 300, sometimes 400 people, uh, as well, including the crew, and uh, need to be, on the other hand, very process-orientated and uh, open to risk and being able to manage risk. Now, here are a few character traits or skills that a manager needs to also show, a CEO in a leadership position needs to show. And I wonder in a retraining program, what are the real you know, values that a pilot could bring to the table in his own, her own reorientation process? Yeah, but as you say, they are very, very process-oriented, and they are as well trained to avoid any risk. So they are totally risk-averse, and they and, and and they know then how to manage if a risk occurs, but they try to prevent the risk. And they are extremely precise uh, in what they are doing, and everything is somehow is somehow predefined. And that is exactly where we take them and say, listen, uh, gentlemen, in, in management, not everything is predefined. Not everything is done with a checklist. And that is what they do. They have really a checklist and they follow strictly those checklists because they have to. But in management, it's much more open. It's much more you know, influenced by environment. Now you can say they have as well weather conditions, but it is something different. And as well... You know, a, a pilot steps into a company and he knows what he is earning when he steps out with, uh, with 65 and, or with 60 when he gets re retired. 
and and everything is somehow as well there is predefined. And now he comes in into a management position, and that is every not everything is free, but it is much more undefined. And you have to to find your structure, and you have to find somehow yeah you have to structure a problem yourself, and not going into a checklist and say okay here is A B B B B, and then I solve my my job. Yeah, and I think there the question. Sorry, sorry, Peter. Go ahead. They they even don't have to care what they are uh, uh, wearing as as clothes. They have a uniform, so that's it. So, and that is a little bit yeah. Not it's not not. I don't want to to say that's bad, but this is this is somehow their mentality, and they have completely to change that mentality. And that is the point I wanted to to pick up on, is the mentality and the personality. Do you think there is a certain type of person that goes into piloting rather than to become an entrepreneur? I don't think so. To be honest, I when, when I was young, I until I was 17, I wanted by all means to become a pilot because it was fascinating for me and I wanted, I wanted to, to become a jet pilot. And I had the physical strength because I was I was uh, I was really sporty, uh, but my my daddy didn't want to give me the signature because he said I don't want to have uh, you grown up and then you are just crashing into the Eigenord one somewhere, and and then I lost it a bit. And uh, but I, I don't think I don't think that is a is a specific type of person. I think. I think pilots pilots are then just choosing a way, as I chose then more or less by coincidence my my way. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of pilots, or I met a lot of pilots who were excellent managers uh, in in the in the airline industry or in their in their in their in their organization. You need a chief pilot. You need a you 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 need you know, you need pilots who are leading uh, pilots. And some some of them they did a fabulous job. Well, if you you, you earlier said that um, you know pilots are risk averse, I would out of the guts and I don't know anything about it. I would say pilots actually do like risk because every single day they're going to take off. They are you know exposing themselves to a higher risk than somebody who stays at home like me and works from my desk here in my home office. And I'm kind of like, okay, I can slip down down the stairs and, and break my neck. However, so there's this kind of interesting feature where you, I think, are actually in a quite risk-prone industry, but all you do is try to mitigate risk due to A, your skills, and B, also how you handle yourself if push comes to shove. A pilot would probably answer you uh, that the risk to go in the morning and drive a car to work is probably the higher risk than what he takes. But the complexity of flying a plane is, of course, higher. But the probability that something happens uh, with an accident with your car is higher than what he That's is true. doing. The statistics and, uh, and for him, everything is just not to make this risk happen. Now, he can't, if, if, if he has an engine failure, then still he has hundreds of procedures where he can uh, somehow avoid the, a disaster. So he is really, he is just trained, trained to, to, to manage or to avoid risk. Mm. Now, if you if you teach a pilot that is trying to uh, you know reorientate his life, 
um, and you tell him about the role of a CEO, what a CEO is, um, you know, what the challenges are, what the opportunities are as well, and what the essence is of a leader, what do you tell them? <laughs> I tell them that, 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 that the CEO job is a wonderful job if you are in the right age and you have the motivation and the drive, and, and, but that the expectations to a CEO are so, so wide and sometimes totally controversial, right? So you are expected as a CEO that you innovate for the, for the long term, but you have to hit, especially in a PLC or in a public company, you have to hit the quarterly targets. You have to be very rigid, but you have to be the darling of, of everybody. You have to be a, a strategist, but you have to have as well a, a clue of, of how the operation is working without mixing into the operation. And, and so it, it's, it's, I, I, I could probably go on to, to, to give you 30 requests what the CEO should do. So he is really, in, in German we say, an Eierlegende Wollmilchsau, at least that is what is expected. <laughs> and, uh, but, but it comes principally down that as a CEO, you have to manage all the expectations from all the different uh, uh, stakeholders and you have to get the balance right of all the different stakeholders you have uh, in, in and around the company And then it's your job that you make the best environment for your company in this complex environment and in an ever-changing environment that the company can operate at its best. That is, that is principally the, 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 the highest purpose of, of, a, of a CEO. And yeah. that he has then as well, that he has, because he is not running the company anymore. That is, that is something which... Some CEOs get it wrong. They are managing what I just said, but they are not operationally managing the company because if he's doing that, then he is doing something wrong. But he has to choose the best people possible who are running the operation, who are running somehow the day-to-day -day business. And that is probably one of the most difficult jobs a CEO has, that he has... First of all, to choose the right people, and then second, to really make them work in the best way possible together, that the team is performing. And, uh, and, and the, uh, the best CEO has the best people, and the best CEO has as well the chance to attract the best people. So that is somehow that is, but you have to be aware as a CEO that sometimes you better wait a bit until you take a decision or until the right person is coming for the job than to just fill gaps. I think this uh, really points to a CEO today, especially, is not a top-down approach. It definitely is the role of a facilitator and trying to get the best out of each individual, even on a very personal basis that he chooses, especially in, you know, in the C-suite uh, in general. And uh, how difficult or hard did you find it, Peter? To find the best people, I find I, I have found some incredible people. But in, when you when you come under pressure, you or I tend to just try to fill gaps, and uh, and and that's probably that is the biggest learning I, I I did from myself. Don't fill gaps. Just mm -hmm. wait until you get really the best ones, and 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 the. Uh, 
to, to create to create the culture and to create the, a culture of performance and to create a V feeling in the team that you better do with somebody external. So you you need you need help, and there are excellent companies around us who are exactly doing that, who are making the diagnostics of of, of your team and of every individual and tell you where he has his development fields. That's one thing, and then the other thing how you put them together uh, in a team and what are the different steps that you really create a, a, a fabulous team. And, and I, had, I had moments in my career where I almost got a bit bored because the team was so great. And then I moved. And, 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 uh, but I, I really, uh, but it was always done with an open mind and an open heart from me to take somebody in who is helping you to take all the hearts with you, and uh, and and yeah, that that's some some successes I had, some great successes I had, some great learnings I had when I just was under pressure and trying to fill the gaps. Trying to fill the gaps, and I think this kind of change management uh, is something that perhaps needs to happen internally as it happens externally. And what you were saying, just trying to keep everybody on board and keep them at the high level of cooperation and their own brilliance is sometimes difficult to manage. I, I, you know, they always say in vino veritas, I think in crisis veritas, definitely where people show their true colors and you might have worked as a fabulous team when things are on a high and you're riding the wave, but when things really get tough, I don't want to even say the tough get going, the good get going, because they kind of pull together rather than, you know, explode out, which makes things worse. But that sometimes you don't know when you hire even who you thought was the best yeah, person. I was, I, was always, I was always trying to look into the CV and, and uh, when I didn't find it, I always asked, where were you somewhere in your career in real deep, deep difficulties? And how did you get out of it? And, and I also asked, what was your biggest failure? And what did you do out of it? Because if, if you have this sunshine captains, that's not, that's not what you need. That's really not what you need. And what I as well experienced myself is you learn sometimes out of successes, but you learn the most out of failures. Because when you have success, you say, well done, big hero. And then you move on and you say, what's, what's, what's next? What's, what, what can I do next? Yeah. And, uh, and, and when, you, when you fail, and then you have a failure, then you start to really rethink and you start to, to consider what you have done. And, and yeah, you just try to learn and, and, and take, what would I do better the next time? So you go through a process. It's, you are forced to go through that process. And what I, what I learned from myself is as well, you can be the absolute best manager. Don't, don't say that I'm the best manager, but you can be brilliant in, in many, many things. You need at the very, at the, uh, you need in every task, you need a portion of luck. And if this luck is not coming to the right time, then uh, you, have the, you, you, can, you can do everything right. This is, this is then still not working.
It's it's so funny because that was one of my questions I wanted to ask you, Peter. Do you sometimes think that life is unfair and everybody says you can't say life is always unfair, but sometimes the timing of when you are at the helm of a company in wherever we are in terms of our zeitgeist or paradigm shifts or whatever is happening in the greater world, you know, the force majeure is happening. You know, it can be sometimes very, very uh, unlucky. And, you know, just a week ago, I spoke to this and I'm sure, uh, this fantastic person, Jeff Immelt, the ex-CEO of uh, GE, and he came through with Hot Seat, his book about his time and his learnings in, in leadership, uh, guiding 16 years GE and boy, Peter, he had a tough time. <laughs> I mean, he, he basically started a week before 9-11 happened. Yep. And since then, he was hammered and hammered and hammered. And for whatever strategic failures his predecessor had made in terms of corporate strategy, diversification, etc., who was responsible? Who was made responsible? It was certainly Jeff. And I wonder, you know, in your tenor as a CEO in leadership, do you sometimes feel that you were looked at, interpreted, in the wrong way, perhaps even by the media? Oh, yeah, sure. But, you know, that belongs to the job. You, you take the glory and you take the contrary of the glory. You are responsible. Are you, are you, is it your mistake? Sometimes it is. But in any case, you are responsible. So that, that's, that's what you take. And that's what, what, you, what you have to be aware if you, if you decide, yes, I go for the top job. Yeah, but you see, this is this is exactly for me internally. You know, if I fail because it was my own doing, you go like, okay, fine. Uh, you know, you pull up your panties, you go like, okay, it was my mistake, mea culpa. I try to learn and I march on. But if you're being made responsible, you fail because of other people having said, don't do it, let's not do it, let's do another course, and it, it was decided against you. You still have to pull up, you know, uh, the responsibility and be there. How does that feel? How do you how do you manage that internally as well? Because that's failure management, where you go, but it wasn't really me. <laughs> yeah, but it's you who are responsible. I can't. It's, it's it's you have to accept this fact, and that is sometimes extremely tough. Yes, of course, but this is not something what you have to show towards the outside. That is what you have to to deal with you inside or in your in your circle and and. My, my inner circle is me, of course, but it's also my family. So my family probably had to, to go through difficult times even more than me, uh, or at least as, 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 as much as me. So, but it, it, is, it is part of, of the job. It, it, yeah, you, you take the glory, you take the downside. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I wonder how much one is prepared to, you know, also take the downside of other people, but still be responsible. And it takes me to the resilience. And, and you focus in your teaching a lot on resilience. And there is, I guess, the corporate resilience, there's the resilience of the team, but there's also your personal resilience. A, how do you define resilience? Because it seems to be one of those commodity words, ah, just be resilient thick skin, whatever, but it is deeper than that. And I think you developed also a kind of a matrix where, where resilience is A, defined, and B, also can, can be taught, can be learned. Yeah, I don't think resilience has something to do with thick skin. I, I, honestly, I don't think so. And I think the skin of us is, is exactly at the same... Uh, Seven layers. Peter, seven layers of skin. <laughs> 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 right. and, and, yeah, I have, I have principally, I, 
But but for me, and I can also only talk uh, about me here yes. because it's personal. It, you you have you have to have a purpose. So you have to keep the end in mind. You have to do to say what is the target, and 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 then you define the steps how you get to these targets, and you make a backup plan a plan as well that that you that you just don't lose the target out of sight. And if you have a target or a purpose, then everything is is going much much easier. And then you have to you you have you have to care about connections. And connections, I mean, the connections in a corporate environment. So you have to really choose what I said: your team and your core team uh, around you, which is totally loyal, which talks the same language, who is emotionally bound to you, who is. Uh, yeah, who is just connected with you, and then you have to take care that you don't lose the connection. That's one thing. And the other thing is you have as well, you, you don't lose the connection to your family. So for me, the family was, was at, at least at the, at the very, very uh, tough moments uh, in, in my life. The family was somehow my retreat, and there I could somehow get strength again and, and realize that what, whatever recognition I got from outside, the recognition I get within the family is ways, ways more uh, uh, yeah, valuable than whatever you get as a formal CEO uh, in, in, in this world. And I think this is a really important point in terms of how to, you know, when you, when you change your own career and you leave maybe a CEO position, because I think a lot of these leaders, they become, of course, uh, they have a certain power level, they are known, they are potentially are successful. And often they might run the risk of taking that, it's all about me, how I am. But it actually is the way, of course it's a mix, but it's the way they execute a certain role that is expected of them and guide and stir a ship, which is a corporate entity potentially. But um, then it turns around very quickly where the family says, hey, we love you. We understand you. We want to hear you uh, with or without the money, with or without the title, with or without the success. And this is where the authenticity really, you know, comes into the picture. And I wonder to what extent a lot of ex-CEOs, for example, fall into a huge vacuum of who am I? Uh, this kind of soul searching. If I'm not a CEO, if I'm not a helm of a company, who am I? Yeah. Just them. <laughs> so, look, power is a drug or can be a drug, and uh, and 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 you just have to you have to be aware that this power is alone. It's not your power. It's it, you got this power, and you have to give it back at some and at some point. And uh, and then you just it just left Peter Fankhaus here, and 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 that is what it is. And then it counts what you have around you and, and what you took care, hopefully, uh, around you. And that's why it's keep your family intact. That is probably one of the most important uh, sentences I, I, I can get across. And, and keep your feet on the ground. Just be aware that it is, of course, nice. And of course, you have power. But it is, it is uh, for a limited time. And everybody, everybody has just a limited time. And, and this is, 
whether this limited time is on, on in, in the company or whether this limited time is on earth if you if you at a certain point and you 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 are to die you have to look back on your life and then the values the true values are coming through and that is not i was running a company and i was successful honestly that was great and then the is is something which is giving you a lot of meaning but that is not the absolute value of, of, of life. That is not. Value of life is that you have a family, that you can educate kids, that you can take care, take care about the people you love. That is what counts. And that is what, what we as, 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 as manager or what every top manager just have to be, not to forget. Yeah, and be aware. Of. Were you aware at the height of your career being up there, being you know, on every show, be it CNBC, Bloomberg, I remember you being on as well. Uh, now, do you, do you, are you aware in the moment when you're riding that wave, though, Frank? Yep. Yeah, I think so. But I was, but I, I, in 2017, I think I was probably at the peak of, uh, of, of, of success. So I, it was really, it was, it was, everything looked great and, and uh, was successful and the figures were grow, uh, growing and, and concepts were great and, and, the culture was totally intact. And exactly at this time, my, my, my wife got sick. And that, that took me really down uh, on, on earth and say, I have here something I have to take care. And then I have somehow, I have a double, a, a double job, one at home to care and, and to care about the kids much more than before. And then you realize how much support you get. And, and then to still uh, run the company at, at its best uh, I could. But this was somehow, this was extremely balancing me and, uh, and, and taught me, don't forget who you are. But that's so, really interesting. But, 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 but everybody, it, you are still a person, but anything can happen to you, but to any other person can happen. So you are nothing special. You are just somebody who tries to do the job, what, what you do the best he can. Yeah, it's interesting, yeah, because it's this power versus vulnerability. And yet, as you were saying at the beginning of our conversation, uh, Peter, is like the pain that always is the wake-up call. Unfortunately, we get very complacent very fast, very in love with ourselves when things are doing good. Uh, and failure, don't, you know, you kind of plan for it, but you don't really account for it sometimes even emotionally. And then if you have a wake-up call that close to your heart where it's your family, then it does put things into perspective. So we, we talked about purpose, we talked about connection, but is, what is extremely important is that you take care about yourself. So about your fitness, about your physical fitness and mental fitness. So it is, it is, it is something, yeah, but, but, but you just have to be mindful. Uh, and and, and, and it ha you have to be mindful that you have to be able to manage yourself. That means as well certain discipline, because if you are not able to manage yourself, you are not able to manage other people. That is also a simple truth. And, uh, and, and, and this discipline, but as well, the discipline then to somehow let it go a bit, you, you, you can't let it go and then you can't just switch off. That, that is a fairy tale. But, but you have to force yourself that you say, okay, now on Sunday, I put work aside if nothing is happening. On Saturday, I may tidy up a bit, but Saturday afternoon and Sunday is, is really something which belongs to, to my family. And I was also, I was 
maybe one year in my career I didn't take holidays, but the, the, the rest I took the holidays I needed. And, uh, and, and, and of course, I was then still working a bit uh, during the holidays because otherwise you just have a, a mountain when you come back. But uh, I, I, took, I, I took time for me as well. I think taking care of yourself is super important. And so how did you do it in times, especially in times of crisis where you had chronic stress? And, you know, stress, if it is short term, it's always stress, it's positive stress. It gives us, you know, strength. But chronic stress is something that gnaws on you and wears you down after a while. What were the steps you took? you know, to disengage and still look after yourself, be it psychologically or physically? Uh, I had the privilege to have a driver. And, uh, and, and, and the driver took me up to 10 kilometers before the office, and then he kicked me out and I was running to the office every morning. So I stood up at 5, 5.30, the car was in front of the house, quarter to six, uh, no, uh, at six o'clock we were at the drop-off point, and then I ran, and uh, and at six at seven o'clock I was showered and at the desk. So I was 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 just a routine. But this one hour gave me so much uh, of 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 thinking time, of uh, somehow washing washing my my all my thoughts and and uh, and, and just yeah get get a good start. And uh, another example was all of a sudden uh, my wife uh, gave me as a birthday present a piano. And I didn't play piano for probably 40 years. And, and then I started again. And, and, and I engaged a, a teacher who came, you know, every, every, every Saturday afternoon he came home and uh, he tried to somehow refresh my, my piano knowledge. I'm not a good player, but it, it, it was... I, I completely forgot the environment and, and, and was just with, with my piano. Didn't play a lot then during the week, but still, I, I was looking forward to this hour where I just could, could really switch off. And the interesting thing, you are in your flow and you're fo totally focused, but this kind of focus and engagement really takes you out into another world. And I had a good friend, a venture capitalist, and had a very high-powered job. As you know, you're also an investor these days. Uh, he came home before even saying, hello, honey. He'd sit down and play an hour worth of piano. It was, he says, it, it was like cleansing myself yes. from the day. And he just he played it all out. And then he was like, okay. <laughs> I'm ready for the family now. <laughs> you know, but it's it's true though. It's 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 an amazing thing. But you know, I wonder to what extent if you are in a day-to-day -day, also what what was the moment when you said, okay, look, Peter, just breathe huh, and calm down. Uh, otherwise, you won't be able to manage the situation. Have you ever had this kind of almost crack point where you didn't have the piano, <laughs> where you couldn't take the dog for a walk, or where you couldn't run until you sweat it all out? No, sure, sure. Um, yeah, you take you take a breath and you say, "I can't believe it," and, and, and maybe that is leading us to the fourth point. Yeah. Whatever happens is you you just have to try to think positive, and you have to to take the positive out of any situation, and and not not to go into the spiral of negativity. And, and thinking positive is not that, that you are then unrealistic, but thinking positive in, in the sense, yeah, almost every situation is manageable. 
and and what what are the solutions and 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 uh, uh, make assumptions which are somehow training your brain into a, a positive direction and and that is that this is very very important as well in life that you that you approach things with a positive spirit and 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 uh, maybe now not in the day to day but what, what what i what i learned as well is to just put things down where i'm extremely grateful for and that are your personal treasures then so it's it's, it's what what you say oh i forgot yes i'm really grateful for that and and uh, and and what i did as well every evening was just to just to write down where were my two three successes and and small successes little little things where you were having your highlights and say oh that was nice that that this one i i i, I did well and and these are these little things where you can just build up a positive mood in yourself and and then everything goes goes much easier and all of that all those four points is somehow what what made me quite resilient i have to say yeah they, i think very very this is why i like that matrix because you pinpointed that resilience is really uh, a coming together of different angles and you know the positive thinking i don't know how many people are actually aware of you know as you were saying just now being grateful, going over what actually went well, changes your mood because it actually changes your hormones, you know, in the body. In the moment, we are very much puppets of, of hormones, whatever is going on, be it cortisol or serotonin or what have you, you do feel differently. And to have that kind of gratitude journal, for example, does change, is a mood shifter. And so positive thinking is not, okay, I'm just going into a mantra, I'm great, I'm great, I'm great. No, you need to no, feel no. it. You know, yeah, right. right. It does, that doesn't work. But what does work is if you're kind of reliving your successes and all of a sudden there is a hormonal shift in your body, which then results in a different... Uh, it's, not, it's not only for you, it's as well for your environment. And what I had to learn as CEO is the whole company looks at you when you enter the door. What face are you having on? When you enter the door, is this 8.15 face uh, or you come in with a smile and then everybody thinks, oh, Peter has a good mood, must be okay, everything. Or you come in and, and, uh, and, and you are concerned or you are somehow not positive and then the whole company thinks, hmm, something is wrong. And, and, and there you have to, to, to just be aware impact the positive impact you have by your attitude and what you have to be aware as well is you are in every situation you are observed you are it's you are in the hot more, seat <laughs> you are yeah. yeah you are you are in the center of attention and and your your actions are all very well observed observed and judged they're also judged because people take the cues. And I, and I think you're totally right. You know, the way you enter, but also the power walk, how you walk or how you, you know, sit or you don't sit. So even though you might have a smile, but you kind of like go around the corners with a little bit of hunch and you go, mm, or you, you, you drag your feet, uh, power dressing. We mentioned it before. Okay. A pilot has a power dress on because he has a, you know, he has a uniform, but in the corporate world, everything you do or you don't do, everything you say, you don't say, 
gives clues, does still communicate. Exactly. Yeah. No, I think these, these kind of key learnings are super, super important. So wrapping up our conversation uh, and also what you marvelously pass on to, to potential, you know, people in transition, be it a, a whole sector of, of, uh, of pilots, but also young, aspiring entrepreneurs, hopefully leaders, CEO, leading our, our world further. What are the key learnings on every level you would pass on, be it on a personal level, on a corporate level, but also in terms of, you know, building that team, those, those three dimensions we talked about. Yeah, uh, look, on, 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 the, on the corporate level, it's, it's really about people. It's really, I, I repeat myself, yeah. take the best people, take your time to, to, to find the best people and form then the best team. And, and what you have, uh, what I said with resilience, that is also uh, true for a company. You, 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 you have to develop a strategy or you have to adapt or you have to, to, to rewrite or you have whatever, but you have to, to have a strategy what, that that's, gives you somehow the, the way how you want to move the next three to five years. But you have as well, above the strategy, you have to be a normative level where you say, what is the inner purpose of our company and what are the values, uh, what everybody should follow. And I had a, I had a great example uh, in, in Thomas Cook. Our value were Thomas Cook is at the heart of our customers. And the customers at our heart, that was then not only a, a slogan, it was, it was really something where we were following tightly on, where I even uh, linked uh, the bonus on a, on 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 the on a KPI which measured customer satisfaction and uh, and where we developed then three values only which should express exactly what does it mean for us to have customer at our heart and and we said you have to put yourself into the shoes of your customer and then you know exactly how you feel and we we define service uh, we were their shoes and because our customers were not wearing shoes we said we wear their flip-flops and, uh, <laughs> and, and and the second one was about quality uh, if you put your heart into it then you do it well and so the second uh, was uh, was we, we we put our heart into it and you know that were so so true for for us and, and just tailored for us that everybody could recognize themselves in, in, those, in those values. And uh, it's not just having a, a piece of paper at the entrance and the reception. These are our values. And then you could be in an insurance or in a bank or in a, in a production company would be, is, is, is sometimes always the same. And, and that, that, that is really what, what matters. That people, people have somehow a, a purpose and they know the purpose of the company and they know what are the values of this company and am I, uh, can I identify myself with, with those, with those uh, values? And, 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 and managing a company is always risk-taking as well and you can fail. That is, that is risk inherent and, 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 and what, what I learned is as well, you are the only one who is responsible that you stand up again and that you learn out of failures and, and out of mistakes. 
So if nobody is responsible for, for that except you are. And it's not a shame to fail. It's not a shame not to do everything to get up again. So that is, is somehow our, our, my, my key messages uh, when, I, when I talk with, uh, with, with, with founders. And I'm, I'm, I'm now together with three founders who said they want to work with me. And, and it is fabulous because they are 30, 40 years younger than me. And, and, uh, and we are totally complementary in, in, in what, we, what we are having as an experience. They are young and, and inspirational and, and totally creative. I'm as well creative, but not as they are. And, and, and me, I have the experience and, and, and can tell them, look, take care here, take care there, without wanting to do their job, because that is their business. And, and they have to grow into a CEO role, but I can help them. No, that's fantastic. And I think so as well, that this creativity, the vision needs to fall into a bed of experience in order to then make a vision into something that is potentially disruptive innovation and then really something that adds adds value on every level. Uh, and I think you're so right also when you were saying, you know, you have to put yourself into the other person's shoes. I, I work with uh, startup companies, scale-up companies, and... Um, I'm responsible, a lot responsible about their pitch training. Okay, how do how do they pitch and how do they really communicate and how do they present themselves to you know in the financing rounds? And what I notice is that the first thing they always think about is you know it's all about them and their fantastic product and their business. You know their business, their baby. They want to present. And I said, wherever room you walk in. You are the least important person in that room. The most important person is whoever is on the other side of the table. And you yeah. have to completely switch uh, your approach there. And the moment you have that mindset differently, the entire pitch, the entire presentation changes and shifts. Yeah, exactly. That, that's exactly what I tell them as well. Yeah. And, and, and I'm sitting, in most of the cases, I'm sitting together with them on the table and I give them then direct and honest feedback. And they are so grateful because, you know, we, we, we didn't know that from birth, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody had to tell us that as well. So, it, and, and, and then it comes and, and you say, okay, I experienced that and it's working. And then they start to believe you and say, okay, I try. And then, yeah, that's, that's somehow, that's somehow, uh, yeah, very, very meaningful what we do when we are getting older or when we have our executive career behind us. No, I agree. I agree. So last one, and then I let you off, Peter, is uh, I asked all of my, all of my uh, conversation partners today, what would you say to your 16-year-old self if you had a chance? What sort of message would you pass on to yourself? Try always to give your best. And everything is then coming uh, on its own. So don't, don't run for a career, don't run for glory, don't run for money. Just, and, and just, just try to, to give your best. And that is what I tell my son and that is what I tell my daughter. And, and that is somehow how I grew up. Excellent. Do your best. Um, 
Peter, I, I really, really, really enjoyed our conversation. So much value. I mean, we talked about the importance of people, the importance of failure as a way to success, resilience, how you can build it up. And that at the end of the day, you know, giving your best in the moment, in the situation you are there without thinking too much about other things is trying to just hold it all together and be as balanced as possible in the meantime. It's a huge task to be a leader, but I think... Uh, I hear that it's worth trying. So thank you so much for sharing all your insights with me, with us. Thank you. And big thank you to you, my dear Mentory TV community. I think Peter Fankhauser really has loads to pass on. I hope you got some really important key messages for building your own career, looking at perhaps building your business, becoming a CEO or a leader in some sort of shape or form. One thing for sure, you're always observed, judged in the hot seat. But then again, isn't that the fun part of it? See you next time here on Mentory TV. Bye. Life is hard, and sometimes you need a little help and guidance. I'm Laura West, host of a Guided Life podcast, and I believe that help is all around us. We just have to ask for it. The universe has a way of guiding us forward with the help of our past loved ones, angels, spirit guides, and ascended masters. On the podcast, I love to explore these ideas with incredible guests and let people know that they are never alone. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you can join me on this journey. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm network and wherever you get your podcasts.